So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to get there in a few minutes. We're in a new sermon series called God Is. God Is. And today is part one. All-powerful, all-knowing, all places. In your bulletin, there's also a little uh, handout sheet you can fill out, uh, fill in some blanks. But I want to start with a few questions for you this morning. Have you ever seen the wind? How do you know the wind is real? You can't see it. You don't know where the wind came from. You don't know where the wind is going. The only way you know wind exists is because of the effect that it has on the things around it. Have you ever seen gravity? How do you know that it's real? You read about it in a book. Your teacher told you about gravity, but you've never seen it with your own eyes. Now, you drop an apple, and it falls to the ground. Did you see the thing that exerted its force on the apple to make it fall? No, but you saw the apple fall. So, you know something has exerted its will on that apple that makes it fall to the ground. Have you ever seen love? How do you know that love is real? You see where I'm going with this? For some reason, people make fun of Christians because they believe in a God they can't see. Yet these same people have no problem believing in wind and gravity and love which are just as invisible but no less real than God. The very first sentence in the very first book of the Bible makes the solid declaration that God is. No further explanation is given and no further explanation is required. We are expected to live in a world that God created for his own glory And our lives are not our own, but they are His. He created us. And because He created us, He put His stamp of ownership upon us. That means we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to Him. In the beginning, God. That's how Genesis 1-1 starts. Not that God was created in the beginning, but that this world we inhabit was. In the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything you see in creation has his fingerprints all over it. God exists, and we see the evidence of that, not only through creation, but through our own lives as well. There were times where the Lord spoke to me, things to me that were absolutely impossible for me to know. He gave me words of wisdom and words of knowledge, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, to share with someone. I didn't know the things that they were going through. I didn't even know their name. And the Lord spoke to me something very specific to tell that individual. He's worked, he's worked so many miracles in my life, miracles of healing, miracles of provision, miracles of wisdom in a situation, miracles of protection. And even if God never did another thing for me for the rest of, his, of, of my life, he's done more than enough to prove his existence and his love for me. When someone tries to disprove God's existence to me, I just have to laugh. That's like trying to disprove the existence of my parents. 
Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. The fact that I'm standing here is proof in itself that they do exist. I am a living, breathing, walking, and talking testimony of their existence. The same is true with my Heavenly Father. Trust me, the fact that I am standing here as your pastor is quite the testimony of God's existence and his love and his grace and his mercy to take a wretch like me and transform me into something that God can use for his purposes. Over the course of this sermon series, we are going to look at many of the attributes of God. And today we're actually going to cover three of these attributes in this message. And I'll, I'll give you the theological term for them, and then we'll explore where these beliefs are found backed up in Scripture. So the first thing you need to know, God is, number one, omnipotent, and meaning there's nothing He can't do. There's nothing He can't do. There's a thought experiment meant to trip up college kids who go to university believing in God. Their intro to philosophy class, their professor usually asks them, do you believe that God can do anything, that there's no limit to his power? Well, they, these 18-year-old Christian university students typically reply, yes, God is all-powerful. Then the professor asks, if he's truly God, do you believe that there's any limit to his ability to create? They typically reply, no, God can create anything. So then the professor poses the setup question. Can God create a rock too big for him to pick up? Well, the college student stumbles in front of their peers. They quickly recognize they don't know how to answer a question like that. If they answer yes, God can make a rock too big for him to pick up, then he's not all-powerful, and therefore he's not God. If the answer is no, that God is unable to make a rock that, uh, of that size, then he's not all-powerful because he can't make that rock, so therefore he's not God. It's nothing more than a logical fallacy meant to prey upon Christian teenagers to try to trip them up. If you, any of you uh, high school or college students, take intro to philosophy, here's the answer. Any rock that God makes, he can pick up because he is all-powerful. There's no limit to what God can do. In three of the four Gospels, this sentence is recorded. Matthew 19, 26 is one of them. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. It's also found in Mark 10, Luke 18. All three writers recount this statement in response to the same situation. When an unmarried young lady was promised that she would conceive a Messiah, the Messiah, without man's assistance and involvement, she replied with the question, How will this be? How is this possible? To which the angel replied in Luke 1.37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Isaiah prophesied destruction for Israel's enemies. And he said in Isaiah 14.27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed it. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? 
Have you ever tried to take something away from a toddler? It's a bit of a challenge. From time to time, one of my toddlers has a death grip on something. But here's what they don't know. I'm stronger than they are. And when I have purposed to take something away from them, I will take it away. I will pry one finger at a time if I have to, but I am stronger than them. Though they may try to hold on to it as tightly as possible, I have the advantage. So when I stretch out my hand to take something away from that toddler or teenager or whatever, they can hold on to it with all their might, but it won't matter because I'm more powerful than they are. I frequently ask all the males in my household, hey, do you want to arm wrestle? Like, no, no, I'm okay. Now, I'm sure a lot of y'all could be me, uh, Buddy Quimby. I mean, this man, he's the reason Sylvester Stallone wrote the movie over the top. I mean, you arm wrestle Buddy and he'll throw you into the next room. So, I mean, I'm not bragging. I could easily be beaten, but... By, not by a toddler. You got to take what you can get, okay? Scripture is filled with examples of wicked humanity trying to prevent God's purposes and overtake his people. Wicked nations keep come attacking and keep attacking Israel and keep trying to thwart God's purposes. These examples show that time and time again, they fail when they try to overpower an all-powerful God. The same God that awakened an old woman's womb and enabled her to give birth to a son in her old age asked her the question when she doubted his power. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything? Ponder that for a moment. Are you facing something that is too hard for you? A task that has been set before you that you are unable to complete? A door that you feel like God wants you to walk through, but it has been firmly held shut? A dream that God has placed in your heart, and all you can do is wonder how in the world it will come to pass. Then you need to get a fresh revelation of God's omnipotence. There's nothing He can't do. Nothing is impossible with God. Isaiah 46, 9-11, it says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. There is no backup God. I am God and there is no other. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do it. God has spoken, and he will accomplish what he has declared. If he needs your help, he'll tell you what to do. When he was going to flood the earth, he told Noah to build a boat. Noah didn't have to, but if Noah wanted to save his family, he needed to obey. Now, God did not expect Noah to flood the earth. God didn't expect Noah to go all over the world and collect uh, animals two by two of the unclean and 
and seven pairs of all the clean animals. That's a lot of animals on the boat. He didn't expect him to do the impossible. He just expected Noah to obey and do what he had asked him to do. Build the boat. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to, to figure out how it's going to happen. You don't have to collect all the animals. I'll handle everything else. The only thing I need you to do is build the boat. And God would handle the rest. If he doesn't tell you to do something, then he's not expecting your help. Now, there's a lot of times when God sets us on a path and the Lord begins to tell us and, and he says, all right, this is where you're headed. And we're like, yeah. And a door slams in our face. And we're like, boom, open that door. We try to force our way into a situation and God hasn't asked for our help. A lot of times God puts us in impossible situations specifically because he doesn't want our help. He wants to do something that is impossible so that we will see what he can't, uh, what, what can't stop him. So that we can see what he can do. When God wanted to deliver the Israelites from the nation of Midian, he called on a man named Gideon. Gideon gathered a big army, about, I don't know, 10, 20,000 people. And God kept saying, your army's too big, your army's too big, your army's too big. And we've, we've shared this story before. But if they, if they beat the Midianite army with a large army, they would say, yeah, we did it. Pat yourself on the back. Yes, we're the boss. And they would boast that they had won the battle. It was their ability. It was their fight. It was their military acumen. So God made sure that they couldn't boast about it. And he whittled that army down until there were only 300 men. 300 men who were going up against 120,000 Midianites. And he didn't even tell them to bring swords. He said, I want you to bring a trumpet and a lantern. Now, come on. You're going into battle, and you bring a musical instrument and a flashlight. What are you going to do, strobe them to death with the flashlight? I mean, you know, we're going to break out and, and, you know, handles the Messiah with the trumpets. What are we going to do? And Gideon was like, look, I don't even know. Don't ask me questions I don't have the answers for. Just show up. Bring your flashlight. Bring your trumpet. And they did. God didn't even need Gideon's army to swing a weapon. The Midianites were so confused, as all of us would be, that they actually turned on themselves and started attacking each other. He wanted, God wanted his, his, these, these men, and he wants us to obey and watch how God will bring out a powerful victory. If he needs your help, he'll tell you. Okay? It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's intended just to show us the next step. Because sometimes, folks, if we know the end result, man, we will sprint toward that finish line and bypass all the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us along the way. Time and again, I saw God work miracles in my life through absolutely no effort of my own. The only thing God expected of me was surrender and obedience. That was it. Those two things opened the door for the miraculous in my life. In this passage we just read in Isaiah 46, 10, it said that God declares the end from the beginning, declares 
in ancient times, things not yet done. And so this leads us to number two. God is omniscient, meaning there's nothing he doesn't know. Now, there's lots of things we don't know, but there's nothing he doesn't know. Our life is made up of so many variables. We make the best decisions we can based on the information we have or based on our gut feelings. But ultimately, we lack a tremendous amount of information. This morning when you were coming to church, maybe you opened up Google Maps to see what the traffic was like. Or you do that on a regular basis as you're heading into work. Uh, so you can see what's the best route to take at that time. But you don't know if an accident will happen on your way. If an accident will happen right in front of you. Or worse yet, that you'll be in an accident. You'll cause an accident on the way. What if there was a way to access all of the information in the entire universe, everything that ever was, everything that ever will be? What if there was a way to speak to a being that had unlimited knowledge and could guide us and direct us in that knowledge? Well, this is your lucky day. Because the Bible says that the fullness of God dwells in Christ. When we accept Christ, when we are led by his spirit, we have access to this amazing God. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. Now, lots of things take us by surprise, but there's nothing that takes him by surprise. If there's nothing God doesn't know, then God can speak to us and tell us things that we do need to know. Sometimes God speaks and it's mysterious and it's maybe a little confusing. You want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to give how much? And we have to be willing to accept the fact that when God speaks, he knows what he's talking about. He sees things we can't see. He's working in ways we can't understand. If you choose, to, if you choose not to obey until he gives you all the facts, then you'll never do anything for God. If you choose not to obey before you have all the facts, you'll never do anything for God. Because he promises us that we'll... He ne I'm sorry, he never promises us that we'll know all the details of why he's asking us to do something. He just asks us to do something. Because if you had all the details, you wouldn't be stepping out in faith. It's not faith if you have the details. It's faith, it's faith when you don't have the details and you choose to trust God anyway. I don't have to understand it. I just have to do it. I just have to be obedient. God knows every detail, every variable, every possible outcome because he knows everything. To give you a real-world illustration of this, I want to share a story from Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. I highly recommend that book if you haven't read it. He said that one of the churches in Vancouver, Canada, that he was helping, believed that God was calling this, that church to plant three new churches to minister to three different language groups there in Vancouver. So this church was going to plant three churches. The problem was the church was only 17 people. 
How in the world were they going to start three churches to minister to three different language groups? So they contacted Henry, and they, they said, uh, you know, here's the situation. So they contacted the missions board, and they requested funds to pay for the salaries of the pastors that would move out and start these new churches. And you'd think, new churches, man, that's great, that's awesome. That's an easy yes, not so fast. The missions board actually said no. They were not able to fund any new work in that area for the next three years. The church didn't have the money, but they knew what God had said. Three new churches would somehow be started by this small group. They continued to pray and believed that the same God that had put it in their hearts to do it would also provide for the task. A couple of months went by, and Pastor Blackaby got a call. A woman that he had met six years earlier had told him, she said, when I pass away, I will leave part of my estate for missions use in Vancouver. She had passed away, and she left $150,000, which paid for this 17-member church to start three brand new churches, and reach three different language groups with the gospel. So Pastor Blackaby, in his book, he asks a series of questions. He says, did God know what he was doing when he told a 17-member church to begin three new churches? Yes. Did he know that the funds would not be, not be, not be available? Uh, <laughs> suddenly I got an Italian accent. Did he know that the funds would not be available from the missions board? Yes. Did God know that the funds would be available from another source exactly when they were needed? Yes. None of those details caught God by surprise. He is all-knowing. This small church in Vancouver knew that, and they believed God at his word. They believed God was right when he called them to that huge assignment. Don't look around and get discouraged. Don't look at what you have and say, I don't have it to give. If God's put it on your heart, he'll give you the want to and the how to, both to will and to do. When God gives you direction, when God tells you to do something, it's because he's got all the information and he knows the right thing. He knows what's around the corner. He knows the bills that are coming up that you don't even know about. For instance, in April of 2020, we received a financial blessing courtesy of the United States Treasury Department. As some of you might have received as well. We knew it was coming. We got really excited. We're like, what are we going to do with this free money? We didn't know what, what we did not know was that our sewer line was about to disengage from the main sewer line and break in several places. While the reconnection of the sewer line to the main line was covered under our water, local water department, replacing the line from that juncture all the way to our house that was broken in, I think, three places, was not covered. Now, we could have complained that our free money from the Treasury Department went to pay for a new sewer line. 
we weren't able to buy all the fun things we wanted to buy, a Roomba, because, I mean, who's got time to vacuum anymore? Come on. We could complain that this money was used to replace a sewer line and not something more fun. You know what's not fun is standing in your shower when your sewer line backs up. I wouldn't recommend it. Stop flushing the toilet. I'm trying to take a shower. These are problems that you don't know you've got until it's too late. So we could complain that this free money that, that we didn't earn uh, yet, at least, I don't know, we'll, we'll sort the government will sort it all out. I promise you that. They'll get their money back. But anyway, we could complain that this money was not used for something more glamorous and more fun. Uh, or we could be incredibly thankful that God had provided the funds to repair something we didn't even know was broken. God knew what was going to happen and provided for the entire repair. Someone once said, we can complain that the rose bush has thorns or we can rejoice that the thorn bush has roses. Make sure you keep things in the proper perspective. God knows what you need and when you'll need it. God is omnipotent, meaning there's nothing he can't do. He's omniscient, meaning there's nothing he doesn't know. And number three, God is omnipresent, meaning there's nowhere that God isn't. There's nowhere he isn't. For hundreds of years, God manifested his presence to Israel in the tabernacle. It was a temporary structure that could be moved as Israel moved around in the wilderness. Well, now they established themselves firmly in the promised land, and they had settled there for good. And so they built a temple to God. First Kings chapter 8, Israel had completed the work on the temple. They assembled all the leaders. They assembled all the tribes together to, special, to celebrate this special moment in time. And they brought up the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And God's glory filled the temple so powerfully that the priests were not even able to stand and minister because of the glory of His presence. King Solomon remarked in 1 Kings 8, 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon understood that God is the creator of the entire universe. Therefore, he's bigger than it. Any building we establish can't contain him, but he can manifest his presence in that place as he so chooses. You see, we are limited to being at one place and time. When I'm in the office, I can't also be at home and also be on an airplane. He can be ministering powerfully in our church service and the church service across the street and in the church services for the churches down the street and the church service that's around the corner. He can be ministering powerfully in thousands of churches across this country, around the world, that meet every Sunday morning, uh, all at the same time. He's not bound by geography the way we are. There's nowhere you can go where God is not. There's a worship song in their little bridge part. It says, there's no place I could go where your love won't find me. There's no place I could hide that you don't see. 
There's no place I could fall where your love wouldn't catch me. You see it all through the eyes of love. Worship team, come up this morning. Would you please stand with me? God is everywhere. He's in the highest heaven receiving worship. He's in the lowest pit healing the wounded. David wrote in Psalm 34, 15 through 18, he said, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry, pointed at you. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory from them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all around the entire universe, and at the same time, he's very much near, next to, close to those who have a broken heart those who are hurting, those who are destroyed by a betrayal, those who are devastated by tragic news, those who are crushed by the weight of the world, those who are wrecked. The Lord is next to them. He saves those that have a broken spirit, those that feel like they just can't go on anymore. Those are the ones he reaches out to save. Pastor and author Matt Chandler, he said, What made me love Christ wasn't that all of a sudden I started figuring out how to do life. What made me love Christ is that when I was at my worst, when I absolutely could not clean myself up, and there was nothing anybody could do with me, right at that moment, Christ said, I'll take that one. That's the one I want. Don't let your concept of God, what he can and can't do, be limited. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he doesn't know, and there's no place that he isn't. And this God of all creation has invited us to join him to accomplish his purposes and tasks on the earth. What could possibly give your life more meaning than to partner with God to do great things for His glory. But if you're going to do that, you have to keep first things first. Jesus Christ must be the cornerstone. What everything else is built upon, if anything else is the cornerstone, you have a faulty foundation. If Jesus Christ is your foundation, if He is the rock on which your life is built, then you will be firmly rooted and established. This morning, I encourage you, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and see is there something that God has called you to do, something God is speaking to you, and you're not trusting Him as much as you need to in some area. God is wanting to do something extraordinary in your life, and you're left with questions. You're wondering if God can do it, if He will do it. you're, you're, You're struggling to... Be willing to step out on faith until you have more answers. Understand that it's not faith if you've got all the answers. God says, step out. God says, go, you go. God says, do something, you do it. 
you trust him that he has all of the why answer, all the why questions answered. And if he never tells you why, you need to be okay with that. That there's a purpose and a plan, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Would you worship with us this morning as we sing that Christ is our cornerstone?